I didn't know what I needed. To this day, I don't know what I need, right? There's certain things that I figured out, but like when people would say, hey, what can I do for you? Or how can I help you? I rarely knew the answer, right? Because I'm just trying to figure it out at that time, right? Like we have doctor appointments, we have this, we have that, like a lot of uncertainty. The pressure of trying to figure out what I needed was something I didn't want at the time, right? I just wanted you to do what you wanted to do. And if that meant showing up with a meal, great. If that meant sending us an Uber Eats gift card, fantastic. If that meant calling me and saying, hey, I'm just gonna come grab the girls for a little bit. Yes, do that, right? Because if you would have asked, hey, do you mind if I do? I probably would have said, no, we're good. Because that's what we do, right? No, I'm okay. No, we've got this. When we didn't and we needed help and we needed support, but I was, I had a hard time voicing what I did need. Welcome to In Conversation series presented by Support Now, where we dive into the messy middle of life's tough times and learn how everyday people make it through. Today, we hear a father's journey and how Brandon Janice gains resilience even through grief. Do you or someone you know need support right now? Support Now is an online platform that helps supporters to provide relief in the form of money, meals, and more to individuals and families in tough times. Through a single online experience, supporters can direct their compassion in meaningful ways. Support Now helps people show up when it matters the most. Start a free registry today at supportnow.org. Brandon, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Giving me a, a wonderful excuse to be in Knoxville, Tennessee. I can't believe it. You're an SEC girl. <laughs> I know. I know. Who knew? It would it would take this for yeah, me to be in Knoxville. I'm glad to have you. Thank you. Thank you for the hospitality. I'm so excited for this interview. Uh, you are my first male interviewee. Uh, which I, I want to try to unpack that a little yeah. bit. Uh, There's something to unpack there. Yeah, definitely. But it's a pleasure because you offer a different perspective of life in tough times. Uh, you've been through a lot, especially in the last few years. So for people that don't know Brandon, I'd love for you to first share your story. You're a little bit maybe more about your account, but what brings you to this point? Yeah, absolutely. I Complete accident. Like the <laughs> fact that people care and want to follow us, it's it's insane. It all happened because Rachel got sick. My late wife, I got diagnosed with breast cancer in 2018. And when it first happened, it was just breast cancer. And yes, you don't want to hear that word, but most people beat breast cancer. So if you're going through it, if it's something that, that may come into your life, don't be discouraged right away. It's healable, right? You know, most people beat it. And so we just kind of took that same notion that we were going to get on the other side of it. And we did for a little bit. But then it had come back. I was writing a lot through that season, just about the pain points, the struggle, even the humor that comes with it sometimes. And people started to like what we were saying and the fact that we were really open about it. A lot of people are closed off when they're walking through it and there's no right way to do it. We just decided early on we were going to be open. And so we shared our story. We shared it with our kids. We we made every decision based on what was best for all of us. And people were interested and they've continued to follow along with our story. And here we Yeah. And everyone loves a hero's story. And I think that you represent, again, a different demographic. Why is it that you feel like so many people maybe aren't as comfortable, males specifically, kind of sharing the sadder parts or the griefier parts? No, because men don't hurt. Yeah, we don't cry. It's not, it, we, We're too strong. We're too tough. And we're not vulnerable, right? And that's not who I am, right? I... I wanted support. I wanted prayers. I wanted people to know what was going on. I wanted awareness around it. This is a real life thing that happens and it happens more than we know. 
And, you know, women are really comfortable in sharing their feelings and their thoughts and their emotions. And, and most men aren't, but I just always have been. It's just been something I was never looking for a following. I was never looking for an influencer title. It's the weirdest thing in the world. I don't appreciate it even. I don't want it. But I do think the awareness of, man, life happens, things are going to happen. And being willing to share that is important. How do you feel like your presence on Instagram has impacted maybe other men? Like, do you find people reaching out to you that have a similar story saying, hey, thank you. I, I, I don't know many other people that are talking about this. I didn't realize that other people feel this way. Yeah. So daily, I'll get connected with a new widower. Now, currently, my following is 96% women. So, and I think Instagram is just more women dominated, yeah. right? So, like, I don't have a huge voice in the male community, I don't think at all. That's why even when I get approached with different partnerships, I'm like, eh, that's literally, there's no men following me. This makes no <laughs> sense to promote this brand or this thing because it's, it's a, a women's world, you know, in that space. But I do offline in DMs and text messages. Everyone knows someone who lost someone, right? And so just yesterday, there were two people that had lost their spouse in the last you know, month. And so I'm having conversations with them. And I, and I love that, right? Like I always want to be able to be a voice. I have not mastered it. I have not figured it out. I struggle so much every day still, but I walked it, right? And so unfortunately, there's just not many people, men out there that are putting it out there. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing that because... I do think there is a stigma around how men grieve in particular. Yeah. And while certainly everyone is allowed to grieve in their own ways, sometimes people grieve the way they do because they simply don't have the example. Sure, They don't have an example to show them that it is okay to be more vulnerable with this, whether it's in your private relationships or in a more public setting. Because I'd imagine Instagram is a funny place, but it is nice to know that you're making an impact. There is like a bit of an endorphin and adrenaline rush and knowing that your content is making an impact. So thank you for that. I want you to share a little bit about your story before Rachel got sick. You, I think part of why people love following you and part of frankly why I'm so excited is you project such optimism and intentionality, authenticity. Tell us about before she got sick, the journey of that, because I think that in some ways what happened before impacts a lot of how you handled everything else with Rachel and your family. Yeah, well, Rachel's the hero of this story. Like, I don't deserve any credit. Like, she's the reason I'm the person I am, right? We got married at 30. You know, we weren't super young, had kids right away. And I worked a lot. Like, I, as a man, like, I, I have to provide. That's what I do, right? And so, like, for me, work was my outlet. Work was my driver. Like, I wanted to be the best. And... I had built some a pretty good team with the company I was on. And so other companies started bringing me in and I was speaking at different events and I was talking about team culture and team building. And I had created this really cool platform, but it put me on the road a lot. And Rachel did not love that. And that became a thing in our marriage. Like she, we have, at this point, we have three kids all under five and I'm traveling all the time. We talked about that offline. Yeah. Like it's not an easy thing to do. But for me again, I'm like, but I'm providing that's, you get to be a mom, I get to provide. That's what I thought we were doing here. And then one day she decided she was no longer going to do that. And thank God she didn't leave me. She decided we're going to come with you. And so I'll never forget the phone call that we had. I was in St. Louis. I just got done with an event. She called me and said, um, we're going to come with you for now on wherever you go. And I'm like, huh, that's not how this works. 
And like six weeks later, we moved all of our stuff into a motorhome and we hit the road as a family and traveled the country for an entire year together. This was before she got sick, a year or so before she got sick. And so we got to spend a year, I got to spend a year just learning what matters. My perspective changed, my priorities changed, everything about my life during that year changed. And I'm so grateful for Rachel for putting her foot down, one, not leaving me, two, putting her foot down and just saying, hey, we're gonna go with you because this is what I signed up for. I signed up to be with you, right? This is what I want. And learning that most things can wait, you know, the call can wait, the webinar can wait, the podcast can wait, a lot of things can wait, right? And five minutes to those kids is an eternity. And being able to just pause and realize that's what matters most. And it took, unfortunately, I was so off. It took 40 feet of living and me not being able to go anywhere and doing all my calls and all my webinars, literally from an RV with three kids running around and they weren't going to be quiet. And I just gave up on trying to get them to be quiet. That's just what our year was. And it just taught me so much. It's almost like she knew something. Mm. Yeah. It's, um, it's hard to say that she always thought, which is so weird. And I used to get so mad at her for this. She always thought she would die from cancer. Like, and she, it's not in her family. There was no reason. She always thought that cancer was going to take her life at some point. I'm not, I don't think at 35, but at some point she thought that was going to be her story. No idea why. And I would be like, that's so dumb. Don't say stupid stuff. But she thought that's what it was going to be for her. Wow. Turns out it was. Wow. So you find out that she's diagnosed with cancer. You, you talked about initially very optimistic. Yeah. And I agree. Generally speaking, no one wants a cancer diagnosis. And because of the advancements that we've made in science, you feel relatively confident that there will be life on the other side of it, albeit different and grueling in the yeah. process. Talk to me a little bit about you get the diagnosis. And I would imagine meeting you and knowing a little bit about Rachel, that there are a lot of people that want to help you. What happened next? Like, how did people show up for you? What what were those moments like? Yeah, it was, I wrote an article right after a blog, right after we got diagnosed and it said, want to feel loved, get cancer. And that was what I think started people following us because it just kind of went viral. I think a couple million views later and people cared, right? But it, there was truth in that. Like we felt so loved. People showed up from everywhere and we always knew we were loved, but it was a different type, right? And so that was a, an eye-opening thing for me to realize how many people cared, how many people showed up. But at the same time, there were some really interesting people that didn't show up, that didn't know what to do, which is so weird. Like some people that are really close to you and like years later have come to me and said, I didn't know what to do. And I'm really sorry I shut down during that season. And then the people that show up, you're like, I haven't talked to this person since grade school. I didn't even know they liked me, you know, like what is happening right now, right? And they showed up in these incredible ways through different things. And so it's interesting how loved we were, but also the ones that loved us. I would have never thought, oh, those are the ones that showed up in this season. Yeah, that's always a, an interesting observation. It's almost as if people are so afraid of the occurrence or the situation that you might be in and how they would respond to something. Yeah. So they project their own reaction sure. to something like that and therefore shut down. Yeah. So um, that makes sense to me. When you say that there was this abundance of support and all these wonderful things, what were some of those things? Like what were some of the things for you and Rachel and you said, gosh, these people are awesome. They just get it. What were those things? Yeah. So here's what I'll say. I didn't know what I needed. To this day, I don't know what I need, right? There's certain things that I figured out, but like 
when people would say, hey, what can I do for you? Or how can I help you? I rarely knew the answer, right? Because I'm just trying to figure it out at that time, right? Like we have doctor appointments, we have this, we have that, like a lot of uncertainty. The pressure of trying to figure out what I needed was something I didn't want at the time, right? I just wanted you to do what you wanted to do. And if that meant showing up with a meal, great. If that meant sending us an Uber Eats gift card, fantastic. If that meant calling me and saying, hey, I'm just going to come grab the girls for a little bit. Yes, do that, right? Because if you would have asked, hey, do you mind if I do? I probably would have said, no, we're good. Because that's what we do, right? No, I'm okay. No, we've got this. When we didn't and we needed help and we needed support, but I was, I had a hard time voicing what I did need. And right? we're still working. Like, yeah. So Rachel's sick. Yeah. Was she able to how active was she in a caregiving role? And because you were balancing a lot, you're being yeah. a supporter to her, a caregiver to her, a caregiver to your kids in working. Yeah. So, so work? during the first run around, yeah, absolutely. And she kept working. She wow. She's a nurse, so she's on her feet twelve hours a day. Wow. And she worked through the entire process of chemo, radiation, all the things. I mean, I think she missed a couple days with a surgery, but she continued to work the whole time, which was amazing. So that again, that first time around, she wasn't that sick. You know, the cancer did not. She whooped cancer the first time around, and. And so it was your typical breast cancer, right? And so she beat it. And we continued life pretty much as it looked, again, with a lot of people showing up and helping in different ways. Now, the second time around, when she got really sick, it was very different. And again, people showed up in other ways then. Yeah. So as things progressed, again, support looks different across the journey. Our observation often is that at the very beginning, you get the diagnosis, there's this stampede of support. Everyone wants to help. Yeah. The casseroles, the money, the childcare, it's, it's wonderful. Because there was two waves, by the second wave, did you find that your needs or your awareness of your needs were more pronounced? So when people say, what can I do to help? Did you have any further clarity than you did maybe after the initial shock of the first diagnosis? That's a really good question. And I don't know that I did because the first time around, you're so clueless to everything. But the second time around, I think I thought again, oh, it's going to be, she's going to get better. It's going to be okay. So we're just going to do this again. And so I kind of just had it figured out. I just did, right? But that changed pretty quickly. And we then needed a lot of help and a lot of support and a lot of money and a lot of things that came with the second time around because she was not working. I was then able not to work because I was the caregiver and I was always there. And so it looked a lot different the second time around. So I don't think the first time even prepared me to know what I need the second time because it was two different, very different things. Well, but that's, I think, an important point that for people that are supporting someone maybe through a cancer diagnosis or a more complicated illness, this happens pretty, I wouldn't say frequently, but this does happen where you mm. think someone's better and then they relapse or something yeah. happens. And I think there's a tendency as a community to say, oh, well, they've got it. They've been through yeah. this before. Mm. But what you're saying is you should still continue to lean in yeah. because just because it's happened before, it doesn't actually make it any less easy. Yeah. In fact, it may even make it harder because it sounds like for you, it, it might've been the first time where you realized she might not get yeah. there. I'm hoping that she mm. does, but she might not. Yeah. Beyond money and meals, what was the most hopeful thing that someone could do for you and for her? Yeah. So we talked about this before, but there were a few things that happened. And I don't know if this was the most helpful, but this was one of the most impactful. When she first got diagnosed the first time around, someone gifted us a photo shoot, you know, a photography session, because Rachel was never going to look the same, right? We knew she was going to lose her hair. We knew she was going to have some surgeries. Like she was never going to look the same. So it was more for her to be able to just feel pretty 
because I know that was a big struggle for her after all of this. Like, I don't feel pretty anymore, right? Which wasn't true. She had the cutest bald head there ever was, right? And you don't know when you marry someone, I wonder if you'll be cute bald until they are. And she was adorable bald, but that was so thoughtful. And it was our last family photo shoot where we were all together. And at least from the outside, we all looked healthy and everybody looked good and everybody was happy. And so that's the one that will always stay on because that we'll always have those. And they meant so much. After that, it's just people showing up in the little things that you, the day to day, making sure the girls had hair appointments. And we had friends that would just grab them and go get their hair done. That mattered. Making sure Cooper, who's my middle girl, like she loves her nails done, making sure the Cooper's nails were pretty, right? That wasn't on my mind, right? Taking Macklin to practice, just offering to do that. So it's not something I had to have on my plate that day. And so it's just showing up in the day to day. It's not the gifts. It's not the stuff. It's just the doing the day-to-day activities that we have to continue to do because life doesn't stop when someone's sick. School continues, practices continue, all the things continue. And so anyone that would show up and help take some of that off us was massive. And not even asking, just doing, right? Just doing it. Because again, if you would have asked me, I said, no, I got it. Because I'm not one to give, right? And people that would just show up and do it was massive. How aware were your kids at that point? How old were they? So when it came back, Hadley was in kindergarten. So Hadley was five or six, Cooper was five, and Macklin was three. And Rachel and I made a deal early on. We weren't going to whisper. We weren't going to whisper. And my big thing with that was for us to whisper and for me to keep telling the kids mommy's going to get better, if she didn't, they'll never trust me. If I sit here and say, mommy's going to get better, mommy's going to get better. And she didn't, they're going to be teenagers one day. And they'll be like, well, you lied to us then, or you told us this then, because we didn't know how long this would last, right? And so we were just honest and open. I remember, my goodness, the conversation, having to tell them that when it got real bad, that mommy was going to go to heaven. Like mommy wasn't coming home. We were in the hospital at the time. And that was the hardest conversation I've ever had, having to sit the three of them down and tell them like, when mommy goes home to heaven, that means daddy gets to come home to y'all. And a lot of tears, a lot of hard, a lot of sad, but also knowing that then mommy wouldn't hurt anymore and mommy would be with Jesus and mommy wouldn't have pain and mommy wouldn't have uncertainty and daddy can come home. Because for a season there for 40 days, 40 nights, we were in the hospital and I never went home and Rachel never went home until you know the day it happened. But having that conversation and preparing them for that and it not being a surprise you know, that mommy died, right? So. It was just something we always talked about. I mean, to answer your question, we were so open. We didn't whisper about it. If it was hard, we told them. If it was good, we told them, right? And some would say that's wrong because they were young, but I would disagree. For us, it was the right thing to do. It may not be for your situation. For us, it was so right because I needed my kids now being a single dad of three to trust me, you know, with their lives. And so I don't regret for a second being open with them. I think it's beautiful and profound. I think it's absolutely the right thing to do. I mean, as parents, our job isn't to make our kids happy. Mm -hmm. It's to help our kids come to terms with what life is and to support them along the journey, regardless of what the outcome might look like. In some ways, did that make it more real for you, telling them? Or had you already, in some ways, come to terms with it? I don't think I fully came to terms with it until the doctor said we give up. 
you know, um, and that, that happened. So we, we found out the cancer was in her brain. So we knew, so it came back in her bones and her back and her spine and her spinal fluid and then her brain, right? This all happened within a, a month. And well, when it went to her bones, you knew like, that's not healable, right? Other than a miracle, like you can't take bones out, right? Like, so like the cancer is always going to be here. And so we're thinking, okay, maybe we have three to five years. So that's still time and we can, we can enjoy life and we can do things. And then it got into her brain and that became a whole nother thing. It's like, you know, you go to Google, what does this mean? <laughs> and it tells you And worst case scenario is not pretty. And that's kind of what we were living. And so when it went to her brain, I remember having my initial conversation, hey, like this is gonna stay with us. This is the rest of our lives. Mommy's life is gonna be cancer, right? And, and we're gonna deal with it and we're gonna do the best we can. And hopefully she can stay with us as long as she can. But then when she went to the hospital, we were doing radiation on her, on her brain and it caused seizures, uncontrollable seizures. I remember the first time that happened, me and my sister-in-law, and I'd never seen that before. And watching that happen, I don't even know what it is. Like watching your person, I'm thinking, okay, she's dying right now. And it happened all night that night. They just kept happening and having to hold her down. Like it was the worst night. And then the doctor's coming in the next day saying, the radiation is just hurting more than anything. We give up. So like, um, we're just going to make her as comfortable as we can. And we don't know if that's going to be three days, three weeks. We have no idea, but that's what we're going to do. And so that's when I knew, and that's when I'm talking to Rachel about, okay, I need to tell the kids like, this is where we are. So that was my question. Like how many days, how many mm-hmm. hours how many weeks after that occurrence did you yeah. decide to go So it was probably a week later because Rachel had really good days in the hospital where she was great. And like, you're like, wait, no, you're good. Like, you're fine. We're going to we're going to beat this still. God's doing something. Something good's happening. Right. And and so there were times we were super encouraged that we're still going to get out of here. And then it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And so um Rachel was still with it when we had that conversation and because she said, you need to, you need to let them know that this is how it's going to be. And if they want to stop coming, I understand if it's going to be harder to see me, I get that. And one of my daughters chose like, she was like, it's just too hard. I don't want to go. I don't want to remember that. Right. You know, and that's not how I want to remember. remember. And, and, and Macklin, on the other hand, he always wanted to be there. And so he was in her bed every single day, just laying with mommy. That was his comfort. Right. And that's all he really knew. But you gave Rachel. them the choice. I they were the choice. They, yeah. They they had the ability. They had yep. that decision making power to for do sure. what they felt was best for them yeah. versus what you you think might be right good for them. And even at you know four and five and six years old, like they, they were know. they they know right. Yeah. And I and I I believe they all chose the right thing. Like they chose what was best for them. They're all grieving in different ways. Right. They're all doing their own thing. And especially after a year of being in an RV together, yeah. I mean they there's a, a level of, of depth in the relationship and a connection with yeah. they had with both of you, especially her, of course. Absolutely. And, you know, they're allowed to kind of let her exit in a way that feels most comfortable right. for them. That's so true. That's so true. So, wow. So talk to me real briefly in the space or in the phase where it was obvious that she was going to pass. What were some of the most helpful things that your friends or family said to you? Mm-hmm. What were the things that, mm-hmm. or is there just nothing? That's a really good question. And I'm glad you said said to me, because I think said is easier than did, right? I don't know what you can do there. For us, I stayed in the hospital for 40 nights, so we just needed help with the kids, yeah. right? We needed to make sure that, again, life goes on for them. We didn't stop life. We didn't stop activities, right? And so school still happened. Yeah. 
uh, sports still happen, dance still happen, all those things still needed to happen for them, you know? The thing for me that will always stick for me is about three or four days before Rachel died, my pastor who would come often, and he was just a dear friend of ours, grabbed me in the lobby. I think he could tell it was close, right? Like I'd never done this before, so I didn't know, but she was, she was out, you know? Um, it was, there was not communication really anymore. It was at that point where we knew, or everyone else around me knew that this was it. And he grabbed me and he said, it's okay to be relieved when she dies. And I thought at the time, like, you can't say that. Like, no, that's not going to be my feeling of relief when my wife dies, right? And he was right. He was right. Because when it was over, like the last week, there was no, she wasn't there anymore. You know, it was just a body. Gives me chills. Yeah. And um, I remember I never left that room. I rarely left that room. Like if I did, I went to go to the bathroom, or I went and grabbed food and then I was there, right? And the day she died, I left to walk a couple of the kids and in-laws out to the car and just say bye to them. And my friend who was in the room with her at the time called me and said, you need to run back up. She's gone or she's going, right? And they always say, it's going to happen when you leave. And I never thought that was the case, but it was like the one time there was no family in the room. It was either me, my sister, my brother, my sister-in-law, her parents. It's like the one time in 40 days that no family was in the room. Her best friend was in the room, but no family was in the room. And I did, and I came back and, and she was gone. And, you know, they were nice enough to do the time of death when I got back. So I got to be there or whatever. But I do remember a sense of relief. I, like she doesn't hurt anymore. She doesn't have uncertainty. She's healed. She's better. And selfishly, I get to go home. I get to go be dad. My kids need that, you know? And so going home that night and the kids were all already asleep and I went and woke them all up and kissed them. And they all had a different reaction, but all beautifully. Um, it was all beautiful. It was, hey, you're home. That means mommy's home. You know, it's in heaven because that's what we called it, right? And, oh my gosh, daddy, I'm so glad you're home. Oh my gosh, daddy, can we all sleep with you tonight? Like, it would be, and then we have a slumber party. That's a whole nother story. For three years, they slept in my room. <laughs> but it was like the, they were ready. They were ready. We were all relieved. We were all ready for what was next. And so I'm so grateful that my pastor gave me that permission. Yeah, that's yeah. the word I was going to use. Is yeah. It was like he gave you permission to feel what you yeah. authentically felt, which feels so mm. uncomfortable uh, in this world. Yeah. But I give that pastor so much credit because that takes some boldness. Mm -hmm. And to your point, not everyone may have reacted the way yeah. you did. And there was an acknowledgement later on that, yeah, they were right. He was right. That's right. So... I get so teary-eyed thinking about this. I'm, I'm a mom of three children and, and everything. And so now you've entered into a new phase. Super dad. My guest's support looks even more different. Talk to me about that. Yeah. What, what happened then? And my guess is there's a series of new challenges that arise as she's officially passed. Mm. And you are officially the primary caregiver. And everybody... Yeah. wants to run to help you. And I do think there is a stigma as a man that you're not as capable. <laughs> it's true. Okay. <laughs> it's true. I was not. It's true. Um, so <laughs> what was interesting on top of when Rachel died, Rachel died March 1st, 2020. And then a thing called COVID happened. Like literally, I heard a little bit about COVID when we were in the hospital. But again, you talk about being grateful. Like had she passed three, four weeks later, I may not have been able to be with her. Yeah. 
She had a thousand visitors in those 40 days. People from all over the country flew in to spend time with Rachel and everybody was Rachel's best friend. We had a Super Bowl party. She was a big cheese fan. We had a Super Bowl party. We had 40 people in the room, in her hospital room. My brother rolled in a keg, like things you're not supposed to do at a hospital. And so like, it was a celebration of her life for the last month, right? It was a beautiful thing. And had COVID taken that away from us, I think the whole process would have felt different even to today, right? We were all able to have that time with her, but I wasn't prepared when all of a sudden, no, the kids aren't going to school anymore. No, there's not going to be this season of normal. Like all I wanted to do was get to our normal. What does our normal look like? What does this new ordinary look like? But at the same time, like we were all going through COVID together all of us, the whole world, right? So like- Everyone was in an RV. Yeah, as <laughs> I was, so were you. So was everybody else. So I felt like, I got this. Y'all are all confused, right? Like we can do this. And so like, if there was ever a blessing in COVID and there's not many of them for our family, it was like, oh, we get to just figure it out together with everybody else trying to figure it out too. Nobody knows what to do right now. And we were just kind of mixed in with everybody else, right? Yeah, what a perspective though, because you could you could look at that and say that, you know, not having a normal routine of school and sports and friends makes it very much more overwhelming. But for you, it was the opposite. It was uh, cathartic. It was a way to heal, yeah. to begin healing together. Everybody was a mess together. Yeah, it wasn't just us. Wow. Yeah, and so, um, and it may be hard for people to show up too who can show, what can you do? Who can come to your circle? Who, and so it was a really just a weird, weird season. But at the same time, we got to figure it out together and grow through it together. And so we had our bubble, we had our circle of my sister and her and her three kids and my parents. And so we had, I had everything I needed to get through that season, right? People showed up in really cool ways. And the, you know, the unique gifts and the, the blankets and the pillows and the Build-A-Bears that have the mommy's voice and all those things were all so great. And I appreciate every single one of them. And we all, we have them all to this day, but just again, anyone that was able to just show up and do any of the things, just help take care of us, right? Uh, without permission, not asking to do, just doing was really special. How did you take care of yourself? <laughs> oh man, during that first year, I don't know that I did very well. All I cared was about my kids and their safety and their comfort and their healing that I probably neglected a little bit of me during that season. But also I got to grieve and heal and grow through that entire process of Rachel dying. Like we got to have the conversations you don't get to have. She got to give me permission to live and to love and to all the things that come with life after her. She got to set up different things for people to show up in different ways. The girl's hair, the kids' dentist appointments, things like that, that I didn't do. She made sure we're taken care of. So I, the business side of death that affects most people, for me, it wasn't as hard because Rachel was so proactive in leading up to what life was gonna look like. So I did miserably without her help, right? But with her help, we figured it out and we struggled through it together. and. She did not prepare me for COVID. She did not prepare me for the kids all getting head lice like a week after. She did not, with COVID, so no one would yeah. see them. And so there's just yeah. lice. Like, so like there's things that, that I was for sure not prepared for and that I would have thought there's no way I can do this alone until you have to. And you just do. And you show up and you do it again and you fail and you do it again and you ask for a ton of grace from your kids. And luckily they've given me that. What's one of your biggest accomplishments? since she's passed and try to be specific. Yeah, man, no one's ever asked me that. 
It's a good question. I would say the kids' joy, the fact that the kids have joy, and I don't mean just they're happy, they have a joy that exceeds understanding. And the reason I share that is not just me saying this. I went to parent-teacher conferences last year, and two of the three teachers said, I've never met a kid that has more joy and brings joy to others. And it'd be really easy to have a woe is me attitude when you lose your mom. You know, it'd be really easy to struggle through the day to day, but they've chosen to live a life like their mommy did. And all three of them have just two teachers. I don't want to lie and say all three of them did because they didn't. (laughs) Two teachers told me that, but they all have this joy about life, about where mommy is. This is where we are. They're just so fun and happy and I give Rachel most credit, but I have to give myself just a little bit that we've continued to be able to experience joy. And so if I had to pick one, I'm just so proud of them and how they've dealt with it all and us together, how we've just partnered through this and it'd be joy. One last question before I get to our lightning round. Is there anything for you inside of you. You're such a positive person, but was there ever a point where you asked yourself, why me? Mm. Um, Yeah, I was angry. I was angry at God for having it come back. I was angry that, yeah, why do we have to go through this again? But when you meet Rachel, if you could have met Rachel, she didn't allow that to last long. She shut it down. This was, of course, our story. This is what we were going to do together. And when cancer comes, it's not just you, it's we. It's all of us, right? It's not just the patient, it's the support, it's the children, it's the in-laws, it's the parents, it's everybody's in this together. And Rachel just didn't allow us to sulk in it. And and she's going through it, man. She's got the pain, she's got the uncertainty. She can't walk some days. She's got these headaches that are I can't even fathom, right? And to continue to have that joy and continue to have that hope and continue to be a light to others, like, how can I not be? Like, I have it good, man. Like, yeah, I lost the love of my life, but I have my health. I have three kids that are thriving and beautiful. And in so many ways, life is really good. And I didn't have to experience what Rachel had to experience on on the pain level, right? So I almost owe it to her, you know, like, I'd be doing her story an injustice if I sulked in it or if I, and I have bad days and I hurt sometimes and I wrote a book about that. And, and some of that was so healing for me to be able to just put all that out there. But there's just so much hope in Rachel's story. And I feel like I owe it to her to continue to live with the attitude that she had. Yeah, you're emulating it on her behalf. Thank you. Um, all right, we're gonna do a quick lightning round. I'm nervous, I'm in the hot seat. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Food or money for food? Money for food. Can I explain? Yeah, I'll, 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 like, keep going. So here's the deal, people. <laughs> Casseroles are not it. Okay. When you have three kids, the, like whose kids eat casseroles? Mine don't. Mine want like chicken fries and like wings and nachos. And so when you come with a casserole and we don't know what's in it, 
I literally may write my next book on just don't send casseroles. It's a great title of that. No, if it's a, if it's an older family, maybe, but like kids don't want casseroles, okay? And support so, now, we'll, we'll yes. co-sponsor that with you. And, 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 <laughs> let me just, and I don't know if I need the casserole tonight. The food that you're bringing, I don't know that that's not what we want tonight. And it just don't do the casseroles. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Don't yeah. apologize. I love it. Mm. This one's an easy one. I know for you. Do you believe in prayer? Oh yeah. That's it. And so when we went public, that was the main reason it was, it was, we wanted people praying for us. It had nothing to do with wanting this story to go anywhere. That's not, it was like, if people are praying for us, we believe that when two or three are gathered together, beautiful things are going to, and, and so much good happened, even though it didn't end like we expected it to end. There was so much beauty through this whole story. And so many people have been led to the Lord and so many people have more hope and so many people have more just great things happening in their life because of Rachel's story, because we put it out there and because of prayer. And so, yes. Okay. Best item or gift you received throughout this journey. So that was the photo shoot, yeah. right? Yeah, I have one more too. Um, another person got us a Adventures of Macklin, Hadley and Cooper map, right? And so it's this map of the US and you get to put pictures of the states you've gone to. And it was so cool to start that then it's like, oh, we got, we're going to create these adventures together. I don't even know who sent it to this day. I have no idea who's, who it was, but crossing off those check marks of these new adventures with our new normal family was a really cool gift that will always be displayed. Yeah. Biggest change you've made since Rachel died. Selflessness. You know, when you have kids, you learn real quick to be selfless, right? But I could still be selfish when Rachel was here. I could still have my time. I could still get away. I could still do this trip and that trip. And, but now like every single thought, there's not a decision in my day, even coming here, like, does this work (laughs) for my kids? Right. Every single decision I make is based on them and what's best for them and what makes them feel safest and most comfortable and most secure. When you have a partner, you can get away with being selfish a little bit still, at least I did. Maybe that's not good advice, but I could have my own time. I could do my own thing. I, whereas now it's, um, and I still get that release because I'm thinking ahead, but it's about them. It's all about them. And I love that. I love a life like that. I'm good with that. One, like maybe like one phrase that you would say to a male who's in your position, like in terms of advice. Yes, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. You don't have to carry the weight of the world. You don't have to do it all. People want to help. I know it's hard to ask, but at least accept. I think that was hard for me at first to just accept the help, right? Like, no, no, we're good. No, 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 we're good. Accepting that people want to show up. They want to show up because they love you or they loved your person. They may not even like you, but they loved your person. (laughs) and they want to be there for you. They're not doing it most of the time. I've realized they're not doing it out of selfish reasons. They're doing it because they care and allow them to allow people into your space. Say yes. If people want to help you, I think that would be the biggest thing. It's okay to not be okay. Um, two more questions. One word, one to describe Rachel. One, I have a hundred. You're not gonna let me cheat. I can. Yeah, you can. You can give me. The, um, she was a light in every situation that she went into. 
a light. Light is the word. But she, I could give you joy. I could give you hope. I could give you fun. The reason I married her is because she made life fun. Everything was fun. Um, and I wanted a life of fun, right? There's a lot of reasons I married her, but I remember that being one of the first times. Like, life would be so much fun with you. But the big reason is because she's a light because everywhere she goes, she lights it up. She makes it better. She made it better. She continues to. And what's so fun is I see that in my kids too, that they got that from their mommy. And she just brightened up every situation, good, bad, ugly. It didn't matter. When Rachel showed up, it was, it was going to be better. I love that. And then last question, one word to describe yourself. Man, this might even be harder. <laughs> uh, I don't know that anyone's ever asked me this either. This is going to sound awful uh, because it's not really a great word, but okay. I'm okay. I'm good. You know, like we've done well, you know, I'm actually happy. I don't want to use happy, but I'm okay on the other side, you know? And I think for anyone walking through it, it's going to be okay. That's a question I got the other day from a guy. Does it get any better? And it doesn't overnight, but one day you go to sleep and you look back at your day and you'd be like, wow, I did okay today. I actually, I actually had more joy today than sadness. I actually had a lot of happy today. Um, and then the next day, maybe it'll hurt again, or maybe you'll hit a wall again, but knowing that, that I'm okay, I'm better than okay, but I don't want to brag. <laughs> I think just, just, I, cause I do think people worry about us, you know, what's it really like behind closed doors? What's it really like off social media? And I've tried to be open with the bad and the ugly and the hard too, but just knowing that we're okay, man, like we're doing it. And I think knowing that it's okay to be okay. I remember having to give myself permission because I felt like people would judge me. Like you're not supposed to be okay. You're not supposed to be happy. You're not supposed to be. Not yet. Uh-uh. That's too fast. Or that's, well, you don't know the conversations that were had. You don't know that all that Rachel wanted was for us to be okay. And I think that's probably where okay comes from. I just want them to be okay. Her biggest fear, two fears. I want my kids and Brandon to be okay. And I want people to know that Jesus is still good. And that just because I die, it's not bad, right? That there's still hope. And um, I think she's done well because we're okay. I'm okay. And there's still hope. You talked about Rachel being a light. I could say the same thing about you. This interview was everything I hoped for because not only are you a male, which is great to see, but you do share such wisdom and such light for everybody, for, for your kids, for the Instagram community, a true trailblazer for, for men, especially that might be going through something difficult, but don't know how to, how to actually articulate it or how to ask for help, how to receive that help. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for allowing me to learn more about your story, to learn more about Rachel. Mm -hmm. And, uh, as someone that doesn't know you well, I'm just extremely proud of someone like you. That's just somehow put it all together and is such a, such a light for their children. It's just a beautiful thing. So thank you very much. Thank you. Anytime I can talk about Rachel, I want to. And I just appreciate uh, you giving me this avenue and doing what you guys are doing because it matters. And so I'm rooting you on. Thank there you. are more men. <laughs> I will connect you with more men. I love more uh, men. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm glad to be the first. Yes, this is thank great. You. Thank you thank so, you much. so much. 
Thank you for tuning in to In Conversation series by Support Now. We hope today's journey has provided insights and strategy for times of grief. Remember, if you or someone you know is facing challenging times, Support Now is here to assist. To learn more or start a free registry, visit us at supportnow.org.